Good morning. I just had a moment of panic. I turned to Doug. I said, is my sermon up there? (laughs) Thankfully, it is. So you all have a message this morning. (laughs) Well, Happy New Year. Uh, It is uh, also known as Associate Pastor Sunday. So welcome. (laughs) Glad you're here and bearing with us. but I hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. I always, I mean, Christmas really is a wonderful time of year. I love the buildup of the season, that you have this whole month or two months, whatever team you're on, I don't discriminate, uh, of anticipating. And there's the Christmas music and the songs and the, uh, the food and the gatherings and the joy and all the things and you build up and then you have the wonderful Christmas Eve service on the 24th and you're filled with the spirit and joy that the Savior is born and then you have have Christmas Day, and then the 26th comes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess it's 365 days till Christmas. That's always, <laughs> that's always my first thought. 365 days till Christmas. And if you grew up in the church, you're probably very familiar with that Luke 2 passage that we heard last week. Um, the the story, the very classic story of Christmas where, G- where Mary and Joseph go into Bethlehem and there's no room at the inn. Mary gives birth to her child and wraps him in bands of cloth. And then we know that the shepherds are out in, their fl- in, their, uh, in the fields and the, the angels make this beautiful announcement to them. Glory to God in the highest. And then the shepherds get to go visit the baby and Mary is just just, she ponders all those things in her heart, and that's where we end, and then we move on. But there's actually more to the story of when Jesus is a baby. We often think about, uh, sometimes we'll hear, I wonder, you know, what happened to Jesus' childhood? What was he like? All of that. Well, we do have a little bit of that in Luke, and it continues in just right after the shepherds visit, his, visit him in Bethlehem. We get to continue that story. And one of the most magical things about the Christmas story is the clearness with which God speaks. God speaks to the, through the angels. This is, uh, to you is born this day in the city of David, a child uh, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. God gives the who, what, when, where. I mean, God gives all of that. And it was, why doesn't God speak like that more often? <laughs> After the shepherds arrive, though, it doesn't seem like God is continuing to speak as clearly even though the story continues. So right after in Luke, in Luke chapter two, um, Mary and Joseph, you know, they don't have any precedent for what you do when your child is the son of God. (laughs) So they just kind of go with, well, we're Jewish and this is what we'll do. This is what we know to do as Jewish people. So follow me, follow along with me in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. After eight days had passed, 
It was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So circumcision goes all the way back to Genesis. That's in the very first book of the Bible. We have a recall already to this book, to this very first promise that God makes with Abraham. This is the promise that God makes that God is going to multiply Abraham's descendants, that God is going to save the world through the descendants of Abraham. And God is promising Abraham that that God is never going to leave them, that God is going to uphold this side of the promise. God is going to be on their side. And this is how Abraham and his descendants will mark themselves as people of that promise is that they will circumcise their child. And so this action of circumcision is is them designating themselves as people of that promise, people of that covenant. So that, that act is not just some ritual that Mary and Joseph are coming down to do, we're just doing it because this is what we do. This is an act that they do, they're saying, we believe that God upholds God's promises. We believe that God is with us. We believe in God's salvation. And then Mary and Joseph, they name their child They name him Jesus. Just as the angels in the chapters before had told them to do, good on them to follow those directions. But usually they would name their child something in the family. Maybe name him Joseph. Maybe name him after Joseph's dad or Joseph's brothers. But they name him Jesus. And Jesus is really the Greek version of what the name that they would have heard from the angel is Yeshua. Name him Yeshua. That means God saves. So they're very, the very naming of their child, anytime they say his name, they're being reminded of God's salvation. God saves. It continues on in verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to the law of the Lord to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So if you're like me, you hear this scripture and you kind of think, I don't really know what to do with this. (laughs) This seems like, I guess we're just kind of setting the scene a little bit. I don't know. Why is this here? Just kind of sounds like they're doing this little like ritual stuff. I don't really know what, what that has to do with anything else. But all of these actions that Mary and Joseph do on their way to the temple, as they are caring for their newborn child, they actually also 
point to God's salvation. The time of their purification according to the law of Moses, that sounds very like, ooh, don't know what that is, but it refers to Leviticus 12. I'm sure you all knew that off the top of your heads. Leviticus, right? We're all flipping through Leviticus all the time. Leviticus 12, it's a good read. Uh, It's all about women's uh, purification after childbirth. (laughs) But Leviticus is that book of more detailed laws. And even though Leviticus, it seems very uh, mundane and uh, just this thing is clean, this thing is unclean, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. It seems very cut and dry and just kind of... uh, not a page turner really, I actually learned to really appreciate it once I, somebody put it for me this way, that Leviticus assumes that everything in the world is created good. It goes off of that assumption. Leviticus, throughout Leviticus, it's things that are clean, unclean, or holy or I guess you should say unclean, clean, or holy. And things are really only unclean. They're not bad. They're just not being used for the thing that they are supposed to be used for. So the reason that anything with blood is unclean is because blood is supposed to be on the inside. That's why it's unclean. Blood isn't bad. We all know that we need blood. And things in the world tend in the direction of unclean. But Leviticus shows us that God can make anything clean and that God can make clean things holy. And purification is one of those means by which God makes unclean things clean or clean things holy. It's another pointing towards God's restoration, God's salvation, how God is making the world as it should be. And then those, that past, the little scripture about the turtle dove sacrifice, that's also in that Leviticus passage because that, that sacrifice was actually the sacrifice to do if you couldn't afford to do the more expensive sheep sacrifice that God said, I know most people wouldn't be able to actually do that. So in order to extend the table, you can bring in a pigeon and that'll, that'll suffice for me. So even though it's sacrifice feels so distant for us, so otherworldly, this is God still already extending the table and saying, I can make, I can work with all things and I can restore all things together. So already we see that Mary and Joseph just in their arrival to Jerusalem, all of their actions are still pointing towards God's salvation. They go to Jerusalem to dedicate their son the scripture says, to dedicate their son just as the scripture says, and it quotes Exodus 13. And if you're a real good Bible scholar, you would maybe know that Exodus 13 is the Passover. 
The Passover, the last plague of the Passover, the last thing that God does before God delivers Israel from slavery, where God tells them, designate your son, your firstborn son, you will be saved. So this scripture is recalling all of God's deliverance from Exodus, just in that little, that little scripture of Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem to de dedicate their child. All these actions of going to the temple are still pointing towards God's salvation. Even though God spoke directly to the shepherds, who, what, when, where, about what is happening. I think God continues to speak of salvation. Continuing in, in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what was customary for them under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Hard not to be, right? When somebody takes your child, says, I have seen salvation. This is it. It kind of reminds me of when we do baptisms here, we get to hold the baby and we get to declare this baby, God so desperately loves. And in this face of a newborn child, I see hope. I see joy. I see the love of God. That's all through a ritual that we do. God didn't speak directly to Simeon the way that God spoke to the shepherds. He didn't say, Simeon, this child that is coming in, it is the Messiah. Instead, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit and he kind of interprets what's around him and he sees this child and he knows. He understands this this is the one I've been waiting for. That the world's been waiting for. 
And Simeon is specifically described as not only a righteous man and devout man, so a man of faith, but he is specifically waiting for Israel's consolation. And consolation just means their comfort, their hope, their savior. He has been specifically waiting for that. And he sees it in a child. And he declares, today my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like there are times when God is communicating quite clearly to me, maybe never the voice of God in an angel, but I feel like sometimes I get, I get a clear message from God, but then there are other times when God just feels so distant, I don't know where God is speaking. Where is God? I haven't heard from God in a while. But what if... What if God was always communicating that salvation, that love? Reminders of God's salvation are all around. Maybe we just have to take a second and look. I mean, Here we are, we're at church today. Church, it exists because 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, and we think that's a reason we gotta celebrate that every week. We know that we need to come together to encourage one another and be reminded of that hope of God's salvation. We got up this morning It feels like a distant, foggy memory for me. We got up this morning. Every morning, morning is a reminder of God's salvation. That God said there's a light that the darkness cannot overcome. Light always comes after darkness. Some of you lucky ones had breakfast this morning. Every time we eat, God gives us daily bread. God gives us what we need. Every bite is something that energizes us. And that's just what God does. God fills us both physically and spiritually sustaining us. Many of us have pets or children or plants or things to take care of in the morning. You did something like that this morning. Maybe you fed your pet or watered the lawn. I don't know. Do you water it in the winter? Clearly, I don't have plants, but (laughs) you did something to take care of another being, to give it life, to give it sustenance. That's what, a little picture of what God does for us, right? Already, today, it's not even 11 o'clock and we've been surrounded by God's salvation. Already. Now, 
The Holy Spirit is what helped Simeon see the salvation of God right in front of him, but is also Mary and Joseph's faithfulness, their practice, their rituals that led him to see that salvation take place. Even the, the very name of Jesus that reminded of God's salvation. So it seems that maybe it's a combination of working with the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, and doing just our daily practices, spiritual things, our spiritual disciplines or practices, that a combination of those things can help us to see God's salvation all around. So spiritual practice is anything that helps us be more aware of God. So yes, prayer and reading scripture and fasting and practicing Sabbath, those things certainly help us become more aware of God. But then also the things like getting up, making breakfast, making your coffee, feeding your pet, those can also point us to God's salvation. There's a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And in each chapter, each chapter is called something else. Like the first one is make, making my bed, then brushing my teeth, eating leftovers. It's all of these very mundane things that we do each day or each week. And she points to how each of those things point us to God's love for us. God's salvation is all around. We just have to look. Some of you may know I recently adopted a dog from the shelter. He's so cute. I'll show pictures later. <laughs> he, uh, he's on a medicine right now that makes him have to go to the bathroom a little bit more. Uh, and so I've been finding myself over the past week cleaning up a lot of his accidents. Um, and as I've been thinking about this message and sort of, I've been letting it settle in my brain of thinking, where, where can I see God's salvation each day? <laughs> I found that in this practice of cleaning up after Ollie, <laughs> there's a small picture of God's forgiveness and love for me. I tend to make some of the same mistakes over and over and God comes in and cleans up after me and says, that's okay, I forgive you. God's salvation is all around. I wonder what it is that today can make you say, I have seen God's salvation. It's in the presence of everybody. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you that you are a God 
who loves us and who uses every chance you get to remind us of that. From the daily practices to the worshipful experiences, God, you are in all of it. And God, would you help us to see that your love is all around us. Everything that you do, everything that you make, God, is to show us that you love us. So God, would you help us to be mindful of that, to be aware of your salvation and your love around us, even if it's not clearly spoken, it's here. In your name we pray, amen.